0: Just want to follow up on what uh, Steve was praying about for the people of Syria and Turkey. Uh, some of you know my wife is from Turkey. She uh, grew up in Istanbul. And um, so our family is very, very mindful, as, as I know you all are. The latest number of deaths is about 33,000 in Turkey and Syria. But the part of the good news is that we can help, and we'll let you know more as we go through this time about perhaps organizations that our church recommends or giving to the church. I heard a story today that a Pakistani man walked into the Turkish embassy in Washington, D.C. and gave $30 million for relief just out of the blue, which reminds me of the sermon series on generosity and giving that we just had. And, And so I just would be reminding all of us to be generous with our money, but also generous with our spirits and with our prayers and with our actions for those in need overseas and near at hand. So let's turn now to uh, the scripture lesson today, which also calls us to be thoughtful, mindful, and spiritually aware of the needs of people around us and our own needs for growth. It comes from the second letter of Peter. Now, 2 Peter is not something you probably hear preached on all that often. Um, it, it's named after the disciple Peter, Simon Peter. We don't know who really wrote this letter or to whom it was written exactly, but it is a powerful letter that reminds us of God's call to us in Christ and then the power that we receive through the Holy Spirit to live into our, our status as brothers and sisters of Christ and to To live into our status as uh, uh, created in the image of God. So listen now for God's word to you today from 2 Peter. God has bestowed upon us through his divine power everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and virtue. The result is that he has given us through these things his precious and wonderful promises. And the purpose of all this is so that you may run away from the corruption of lust that is in this world and may become partakers of the divine nature. So, because of this, you should strain every nerve to supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue with knowledge, and your knowledge with self-control, and your self-control with patience, and your patience with piety, and your piety with family affection, and your family affection with love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, we pray that you'll grant us the eyes to see and the ears to hear, and the hearts and minds to understand your word and your world. As hard as it can be sometimes be with us now in jesus name amen so i'm going to start today with a question you may not have considered before what is the purpose of a table a table not something you're thinking about every day i'm sure specifically i'm asking what is the purpose of this table Okay, I'm not usually a prop preacher, but here's our prop for today. It is an end table. It is an end table. What is the purpose of an end table? Well, hold things. It could be decoration in a room. It could be just to fill up some space, empty space, where you just need to put something over there. But the basic, obvious purpose for an end table is exactly what somebody said. It is to be a stable, raised platform to hold stuff. Okay. For example, last week in our worship service, it was our commitment Sunday. And those of you who were here, you you walked down the center aisle and you put your commitment card into a a basket that were on these little end tables. Now those end tables, I had to scrounge all over this church to find. (laughs) And that reminded me that as a lot of us know, For many, many years, we've been short of tables here in the sanctuary. And so, with that in mind, I went on to the... Well, I did a whole search at various furniture stores and looked at furniture that costs like $300 for an end table. I'm like, eh, I'm not going to justify that, especially after Commitment Sunday for the church. So I went online, and I bought some end tables, and the other day... I was sitting in my office upstairs and I was putting together end tables and Steve walked by and said, what the heck are you doing? And I said, I'm putting together end tables. So, I did it and it was fun. Because I am one of those really weird people who likes putting furniture together. I love it when we get stuff from Ikea or wherever and I've got to put it all together and read the directions and screw everything in and all that. Because, you know, in college that was my job. I was a I spent almost all four years of college uh, working in a Scandinavian furniture store, assembling furniture, selling it, and delivering it. And it wasn't that cheap Swedish stuff you get at Ikea. It was Danish modern. (laughs) So anyway, I'm a a snob when it comes to furniture. (laughs) So here I was, I was putting it together, but I'm also a preacher, not just a furniture assembler. And so when I was doing that, a scripture passage came to mind, which... Steve actually mentioned in his prayer, Isaiah 16, 64, 8, where God is described as a potter and people, you and me, we're described as clay, the work of God's hand. God forms us for a purpose, just like we shape clay or we, or we put together the screws and wood of, a, of an end table. Now, obviously, there are plenty of differences between... Assembling inanimate objects or something, and forming a human being. For one thing, unlike a a table, you and I, we get to have a hand in the process of our own formation. We can choose how and whether or not to cooperate with God in the process of our own formation. And then there's also time. I mean, it took me about 15 minutes to put two tables together, and it takes God a lifetime to form us into the people we were made to be. And that is what Peter is getting at in the scripture lesson I just read. He says, God has given us everything to live a full life. And in Christ, we have a perfect model for what that kind of life, that abundant Full life looks like. The problem is that none of us can live into that model on our own. So God sends us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, to dwell within us, to shape us and guide us and give us direction in life. And what is our direction in life? Well, Peter tells us to partake in the divine nature. Well, I could spend a whole sermon unpacking that line, but what, I'm, what, it, what it doesn't mean is that you and I get to be God, <laughs> or gods, thank God. But what it does mean to partake in the divine nature is that as the Spirit transforms us gradually from within, and we cooperate, we can act and be more like christ god certainly takes the first step in the process we call that grace but you and i have our part too to trust to act and to grow and we call that faith now in second peter we hear that faith naturally results in growth of virtue and knowledge self-control and patience, piety and mutual affection. But most of all, at the end of it all, it results in love. The all-embracing, life-transforming, self-giving, agape love of Jesus. That is what we're being formed into, and that is the purpose God has for our lives, to shape our capacity to love as Jesus loved. And you hear this all over the place in the New Testament. You hear this in the famous uh, 1 Corinthians 13, where it ends up, faith, hope, and love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. You hear it in, in Colossians, where, where Paul says to, to put on new clothes, to close, clothe yourself in Christ, and gives us this whole list of things that that entails, and it ends up with love every single one of these uh, sort of lists of virtues or or the life of faith, what it's like, they all end in agape love. That is the point. That is the purpose of being a Christian. Now, after all, we realize, as I said before, that it's not going to be easy to live like that, right? Not easy to live like that. But still... Peter says there is plenty of corruption in this world and in our hearts, too. But God's Spirit isn't done with us and is always working with us, in us, and through us. Our job is to cooperate. Now, the fancy theological uh, term for this is sanctification. Sanctification meaning to become holy. But in recent years, another uh, word has been used really very commonly throughout churches of all sorts of different denominations and styles, and that phrase is spiritual formation, spiritual formation. A good definition of spiritual, spiritual formation comes from the writer Robert Mulholland, who says, it is the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. I like that. And it has two aspects that are very closely related. First, is just a basic fact of life. That as creatures, we are constantly being formed, shaped, influenced by the world around us. Whether it be nature or nurture or culture or experience or, you know, teaching or technology, our parents, our families, whatever. But at the same time, as human beings created in the image of God, we also have a spirit. That is a capacity to be aware of and involved in our own formation, our own spiritual formation. Now, As you might imagine, there are a ton of ways you can define what the spirit is, the human spirit. Uh, And (laughs) way too many ways for me to get into in one sermon. So what I want to say is this. Usually the spirit, our spirit, human spirit, is identified with the soul or the heart or the will of a person. It's the unifying essence or the executive function of who you are as an individual it's basically what makes you tick for example imagine you are in a bookstore remember those bookstores yeah used to have them all over the place bookstore imagine you're in a bookstore and you see a book on the shelf and it's about spiritual formation and you think to yourself hey well i've been meaning to read and learn more about prayer and And, you know, all this spiritual stuff. And so you reach for the book. And then right then, you remember an argument you just had with your spouse about family finances. And suddenly, you get a knot in your stomach because now you face a dilemma. Do you buy the book on prayer? Or maybe you get one on how to deal with money. Or maybe the voice of your mom comes rushing back into your head and you think, well, you know, money doesn't grow on trees, so maybe I won't buy any books at all. You see, you bring all sorts of desires and interests and personality traits and history and relationships, along with a degree of free will, into any choice you make about something to do. And it all comes together in that place we call the spirit or the heart. It's the core of who you are as a person for better and for worse. But as Christians, we believe that God doesn't just leave our spirits alone to our own devices. God's spirit is constantly Working with the raw material of our lives, all the choices we have to make, all the things we have to do, all the the planning we do, all the regrets we have. God is working through and with all of that in our own spirits to shape us into the kind of people who can both desire and do the kinds of things Jesus did. The author Richard Foster puts it like this. Spiritual formation is a journey through which we open our hearts to a deeper connection with God. We are not bystanders in our spiritual lives. We are active participants with God who is ever inviting us into relationship with him. And that gets me to the second aspect of what spiritual formation is. it Basically, how do we open our hearts to a deeper connection with God? A few years ago, I, I think I shared this in a sermon and with some of you, but a few years ago I took uh, what turned out to be a trip of a lifetime for me. I went with a group of other pastors to Washington, D.C. to visit the Church of the Savior. As I say, it was one of the most transformative experiences of my life, and I'm still processing it. Now, the Church of the Savior was formed back in the 40s after World War II by a returning army chaplain named Gordon Cosby and his wife, Mary. And they wanted to build a community that was intentionally focused on the everyday task of spiritual formation for all of its members. And you see, surprisingly, The Church of the Savior doesn't even have a building. The people who are members of that church, they meet in house churches all over the D.C. area. And what they do is in these small house churches, they they get together regularly to share what's going on in their lives and to read scripture. Almost everybody gets a chance to preach or to put all their testimonies together into a sermon. They get to know each other, they get to know God, and they get to go deep into who they are as individuals too. And that allows them to make collective decisions on how to live out their faith through acts of mercy, justice, and peace, and love. And that's what they call the inward-outward journey together. That's their slogan, their motto. Inward-outward journey together. Gordon Cosby said that the task of a Christian is both to listen deeply and to act boldly in following Jesus. So, listening involves the inward practices, things like prayer and journaling and study and worship and and silence in community and in private. It's paying attention to what is going on in your own spirit, what brings you joy, what brings you down, and what God's Spirit is doing to shape you. But it is always balanced, the inward journey, with an outward journey, that is serving people in need. And that is why the Church of the Savior runs over 40 ministries for the poor in Washington, D.C. Now, I visited a bunch of them. They include housing and daycare for kids and medical clinics and treatment facilities and a, even a microloan agency and, and, frankly, one of the best coffee houses in and at bookstores in the whole D.C. metro area. Now, there are plenty of ways to be on the inward-outward journey together. I mean, you don't have to do it exactly like Church of the Savior. In fact, most churches can't. For one thing, it means getting rid of your building, and I don't think that's something that any of us want to do. But we can still be on this inward-outward journey together. What it boils down to is intentionally living into what Jesus said is the purpose of life. To love God with all your heart, mind, and spirit, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. When you do that on a consistent basis, you're cooperating with the Spirit to be more like Jesus. Of course, that begs the question of what version of Jesus are we talking about? <laughs> right? There's just so many versions of who Jesus was. What, would he, what he was like? Uh, what would he want? Remember that bracelet everybody used to wear? WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, it kind of depends on your image of Jesus, right? Is it the Jesus who said, the love of money is the root of all evil? Or is it the Jesus of prosperity gospel preachers who say that money is the root, the core, the proof of God's blessing? Or is it the Jesus who told his disciples to turn the other cheek? Or is it the one Christians have used for centuries to justify violence and abuse in the name of Jesus? You see, part of the task of spiritual formation is to learn what kind of Jesus God wants to turn us into. So you can listen to sermons, you can study the Bible, read books, go to classes. You can ask questions, right? What was Jesus like? What did he do? What were his motivations? What what moved him? What, What were his passions? How did he treat people? why did he ask them to follow why did they decide to follow him and what did jesus tell them to do then you can try to do what jesus tells us to do as his disciples and see what impact it has on your life almost like an experiment do the kinds of things jesus says to do and see what happens in your own life in our church and in the world. That can involve inward practices of prayer and worship and reflection and outward acts to seek healing and wholeness and justice and peace. The word for that in Hebrew, all that is shalom, working for shalom. Now, a term that is often used to describe these sorts of practices is spiritual disciplines. And in next week's sermon, I'm going to talk more about them as we approach the season of Lent. And I'm going to invite you to, rather than just give stuff up, which might be appropriate for some of us, to think about taking on a practice or two, to draw you closer to God and be intentional about the process. But right now, I want to look at what we are doing here at Piedmont Community Church uh, in the area of spiritual formation. So, last July... Uh, in response to the mission study that so many folks participated in in the church about the future direction that our congregation is going in, we formed a spiritual formation task force. I know some people are fed up with the word task force, but there it is. That's what it was called, the spiritual formation task force. We met two or three times a week. There were seven of us, including Steve and myself, and we, we presented a report to the board of trustees back in December. And you can find a copy of that report on our website under Ministry at the top. So, what do we find? Well, first of all, like in any congregation, spiritual formation happens at Piedmont Church in all sorts of ways, it could be singing in the choir. It could be serving a meal in a homeless shelter. It could be participating in a life group here once a week. It could be serving on a board or a mission team. It could be all sorts of things. Big commitments and small. The Spirit is forming us all the time, whether or not we're aware of it. And then the task force develops some principles to guide us as we decide what kinds of things do we want to do as a congregation as we move forward. And so we, uh, we, we decided on certain principles, <laughs> as the word I just used, certain principles to guide us into thinking about ways in which we can intentionally grow into the people God made us to be, to love like Jesus. So the first principle is to recognize, as I said, that the Spirit is already intimately involved in transformation and growth are possible in everything we do as a congregation, and as individuals. And that reality should be celebrated, recognized, and it should guide us in whatever decisions we make about our life together. How is the spirit of God involved in what we're doing? Second, spiritual formation always involves an inward outward dynamic. We seek to grow our true selves as God's beloved children and to see and treat everybody else according to the same light. And third, while there are identifiable stages and seasons in life and spiritual formation, no church program is going to appeal to everyone equally. So in what we offer, what we decide to do, we need to strive to meet people where they are. Which leads to a fourth principle to celebrate our long history of inclusivity, diversity. You know, we were founded over 100 years ago as the, as far as I know, the first non-denominational church west of the Mississippi River. So this diversity is kind of in our DNA as a church. We're certainly united by our faith in Jesus Christ, but we come to that faith from a wide diversity of perspectives and experiences. So we need to be aware of that and uh, even to to nurture it as we can. A fifth principle is this. As we're finally, hopefully coming out of COVID, and with all the massive changes that are um, going on in our world and in our culture all around us, there is a renewed hunger for depth for community for meaning and i would say for god people are searching for something more both in our church you all and you all watching online and and out there in the community people are searching for something more so we need to be a place that supports people of all ages and all statuses and stages in life to live into their full humanity, to go deep, to make an impact and to find peace and healing and purpose in life. So, for example, for a year and a half, along with the other small groups that meet regularly, including the choir, we have established life groups who get together here every week at the church to go deep in matters of faith and life and We just ended one season, we're taking a couple of weeks off, and if you want to sign up for a life group for the season of Lent, you can do so out in the courtyard or online. We've had Sunday morning classes on spiritual gifts and stages of faith, which is ongoing today, and so many people have been attending these. I mean, I was calculating this the other day. I think we've we've averaged about 30% of our worship attendance has been going to our Sunday morning classes. That's pretty good. There's a hunger, people, in here and out there. And then we're going to have this two-day uh, workshop on the Enneagram coming up in March, and I'd love to talk to you more about that. We are already doing lots of things to open ourselves to spiritual formation. And as we do it together, more and more, we learn what it is to live and to love like Jesus. But I want to say this. Wherever you are this morning, wherever you are this morning, remember this, that God is with you every step of the way in your journey in life. But it is also up to you and me to put one foot in front of the other and to keep on walking together. I'm going to close with a blessing that really touches my heart. It comes from a Methodist minister named Kathy McShane, and she writes this: "May God bless you, keep you and be gracious unto you. May God give you peace, never to sell yourself or God, short. Grace to risk something big for something good grace to remember that the world is now too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. So may God take your mind and think through it. May God take your lips and speak through them. May God take your hands and do good with them. May God take your heart and set it on fire. In Jesus name. Amen.